You want to change the world? Get married. Have babies. But count the cost. You can't change the world without sacrifice. On this episode, I talk with Pastor Dave Abusera on the cost and the reward of big families. So join in as we build, fight, protect, and lead. This is The Patriarchy. Rise up, for men of God, have done with lesser... <laughs> Behold, children are the gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. That was from Psalm 127. And I am Pastor Joseph Spurgeon. You are listening to the Patriarchy Podcast, a ministry of Sovereign King Church. All right, put on your tinfoil hats for just a second. There's this video clip that someone turned into a song of Alex Jones saying something on one of his shows that just cracks me up. Alex Jones is a conspiracy theory shock jock who's been banned on a lot of media platforms. And I don't really know the context of the video, but here he is in this video slamming his show notes on his talk show desk and yelling, I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turns the freaking frogs gay. The clip went viral with people calling him crazy and loony. And while he may be crazy and loony, I saw several articles recently from sources like the Washington Post, Science Wire, Live Science, and the NC Register, which make his comments not sound so uh, tinfoily. Several studies, including one by the U.S. Geological Society, have revealed that there is a chemical infiltrating many waterways in both the U.S. and Europe. It's having a large impact on, guess what, fish and amphibians. This chemical has been impacting the reproductive systems of fish and amphibians, even three generations removed from the initial exposure. One of the reported impacts is harmful mutations in the sexual systems causing, yes, even frogs to be born, well, not gay, but intersex. Live Science says, quote, The body of a fish or a frog reacts to this chemical as if it were a natural estrogen, demasculinizing male animals and creating a condition called intersex that interferes with an animal's ability to reproduce. So maybe Alex Jones isn't so nutty. Uh, well, he's still a nut. A broken clock can be right twice a day. Anyways, so what is the chemical? It's ethanol estradiol. This is the active ingredient in birth control. After it passes through the woman who's attempting to circumvent her fruitfulness, it goes into the water supply and continues to be effective. Because the pill has become so widely used, 
Large enough amounts are entering the waterways that scientists are concerned about the damage it may be doing. And they're looking for ways to filter it out of the water. One article went to great lengths to say that the researchers are not trying to tell women to curb birth control use because, you know, that might make sense. But we got to find ways to make it safe. You know, we are at a point in which our rejection of God's ordinances is impacting not only us, but the rest of creation. You know, our sin brought a curse on the creation. When Adam and Eve sinned, it brought a curse on the creation, and it continues to do so today. Birth control has a major impact, not only in gay frogs, but also on birth rates in most modern nations. You know, for a nation to break even and maintain its current population, it needs a birth rate of 2.1 children per adult woman. In 2018, the CDC reported that the U.S. numbers were at an all-time low. And actually, uh, I saw even report even uh, closer from this this uh, this year that the rate had fallen even further than from 2018 to below 1.7. Below 1.7. This is far below the rate needed to sustain the current population of the United States. In fact, the United States' birth rate is below even the rates of France, Sweden, and the great free-loving, liberty-loving people of North Korea. Let that sink in in a moment. North Korea, the communist dictatorship where people are starving to death, has a higher birth rate than the United States does. To see how far it has fallen... In 1960, the rate was 3.65. If we go back even further into the 1800s, the rate was as high as 7, according to the University of Houston. That's right. The average woman in the U.S. in the 1800s, when we had a lot more poverty, a lot less uh, ways for it to be easy, you know, there was no washing machines, electricity, seven children. But since the last half of that century and through the next, the rate has fallen more and more until we have arrived at a rate in which the U.S. cannot maintain its own population. I also researched what the population rates were based upon self-proclaimed religious affiliation of the person. Maybe that might be different. The Pew Research Center surveyed 35,000 people in 2014. The rates have fallen several percentage points since then, but it's still helpful for us to see what we're working with. The Mormons... A cult had the highest rate at 3.4, and agnostics were the lowest at 1.3. They don't know anything, and so they don't know to have children. Showing that God is not the only thing they're apathetic about. So, what about evangelical Protestants? Well, they were hovering right at the replacement rate of 2.3, and that was years ago. So, basically, they got their boy for number one and their girl for number two, and then they were through. And remember, again, the birth rate has decreased by a few percentage points per year since then. So we're in a bad way right now when it comes to having children. And this spells doom for a nation. You know, just as if you go to a church and you see no young children, you know that it's dying. So too will a nation be dying off if it's not having babies. And so this is where we are as a country, where many churches sadly are at, but I also wanted to read to you from an interesting article from the Daily Caller. And this is what it says. The population of the Amish is projected to be greater than the current population of the United States in 215 years, 
if the Amish growth rate, which has held constant for more than 100 years, remains the same. Over the past 100 years, the Amish population has doubled every 19.63 years on average. It goes on to say, on average, the Amish have families larger than the typical American family, which has 1.7 children or less. Demographers estimate that Amish have an average of 67 children, 6 to 7, not 67, that'd be quite a bit, wouldn't it? 6 to 7 children per family, according to Amish America. Some more conservative Amish settlements have even higher fertility rates. Quote, they're doubling their population about every 21 to 22 years, primarily because they produce large families, and the vast majority of daughters and sons remain in the community as adults baptized in the faith, starting their own families, and sustaining their religious beliefs and practices, said Ohio State researcher Joseph Donemeyer. You know, I, I don't know who said it. It's cliche at this point, but demographics are destiny. And so, in our time of intentional fertility, sexual confusion, and mass murder of children in the womb, if you want to change the world, you know what the answer is. I mean, it's the answer that's always been the answer, right? There, as men, we're always out looking for the way to change the world. Like, is it politics, running for office, and all these things? No, it's what it's always been since time began. Find a good woman, get married, have children, teach them the faith, right? This is the way. This is the way, men. I mean, it's what the patriarchy is all about. Get married and have children. No greater way to change the world. But you also need to know this. The only way to change the world is through sacrifice. Right? Those who are unwilling to sacrifice anything never never make change. Those who compromise or pragmatic about every little thing, they never change the world. It's those who are willing to give up everything that make the change. And so the way of fruitfulness is costly. It's why our birth rates are so low. People don't want to count the cost. Well, they counted the cost, actually, and they don't want to bear with the cost. But you're a Christian. You believe God. You believe his promises. And so, yes, you've got to count the cost. And you've got to be willing to bear it. And so, today on this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Pastor Dave Abusara on what it takes to have a large family. I think you're going to find that this interview is both encouraging and challenging. So sit back, listen, and I'll catch you on the other side. Welcome back to the Patriarchy Podcast. I am Pastor Joseph Spurgeon, and I am here today with a dear friend and, and brother in my presbytery, Pastor Dave Abusera. He has been uh, in a pastor at Clear Note Church in Indianapolis about 10 years. He's actually been there altogether around 13 years, helping to help get that uh, planted and going. And he's been very helpful to me as a pastor. Sometimes I'll call him up and complain and whine and cry, and he'll tell me to suck it up. So I'm um, uh, glad to have him on the show. He has... Uh, 11 children with one of them still coming. So the, 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 the 11th one is still on its way. So David, welcome to the show. Hey, Joseph. 
It's good to see you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yes. Yes, sir. So Dave, you kind of have a big family. Um, yeah. Do you know what causes that? I typically tell people we've just about got it figured out. All right. Yeah. Um, and so, are they all yours? Yeah. Okay. Me and all my right. wife. Yep. No, but uh, those are the questions. What other questions do you hear? I'm sure you hear them all. Um, you need to you get your a TV, you got your hands yeah. full. Yeah. yeah. Well, you need a different hobby. Oh, man. People are now just telling you. <laughs> not, they're not even asking questions. At your, at no. your number, they're just telling you. They're just rude. Yeah, you okay. get past like five or maybe six, and people just they you have to just wait for them to pick their jaw up off the floor and then figure out if they're going to smile or just what they just it's it's incomprehensible. I kind of I think it's kind of funny. I don't get nearly the flack my wife does, uh, probably because I'm just a little bigger. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I just saw something. Uh, I think it was yesterday that was was helpful because I know. When you get a large family, you, you get, well, it doesn't have to be that, that large. You can have three or four. You start getting those questions. And I think people get offended. I get it. You know, our side is tempted to get offended about it. Like, why are people doing that? And, you know, we're not strange. You're the strange ones not having children. And yet yeah. the post was kind of like, uh, um, no, don't, don't react crazy. This is an opportunity to just be a blessing and, Tell people about the Lord while you're yeah. having children. So, yep. yeah. Well, here's my actually yeah. first real serious question. You do have a large family. Was that the plan all along? Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, my wife and I never really settled on a number. We never even really talked about it. Nowadays, I hear people beyond ministry or whatever. They talk about the number. And my wife and I never had that talk. Um, what we knew was that we loved children. That was something that was, we were taught as being a, you know, pretty basic expression of our faith, um, was to love children and to be fruitful. Um, we've never taken for granted the ability to have children, but, um, when people ask now, they're like, well, are you done? They almost, you know, they don't quite know whether that's an okay question to ask. And I just tell them, you know, well, we're going to have this baby. And we'll see. And that's as much of an answer as we can give, because it really is a discussion. Um, we did not come into marriage with ironclad convictions about contraception or family size or, um, yeah, I don't know if it was a lack of planning or if it was faith. Uh, it may have been both, but. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I I have seven children, so I, I, I asked that question about the plan because I didn't we didn't plan on it either. Um, in yeah. a sense, we were not specific. I I grew up with two brothers, and so I thought, okay, the normal and the goal is three. Yeah. And, and when I got married, that's kind of what I assumed. I think my wife and I assumed that, but once we started having one or two. And then I actually, after our firstborn, I got involved with abortion ministry and God used that to change, uh, my heart towards children. And so, um, yeah, they've came along and I, I it's probably a, both a lack of planning and a, uh, a faith in the Lord. Yeah. I mean, as you have more children, my, I think my wife's always been, um, more had a 
more well-rounded perspective on these things. I don't, I think I probably took things for granted more than she did, uh, made presumptions that she didn't make. Um, but as we've had more children and as I've seen what life is like with a, a growing family, um, you realize the work that's involved in it and you realize, uh, if, you know, if you have, if you, if you stop today, your workload is still only going to increase for the next, you know, 15 years, 20 years. If you stop, you know, if you don't have another child and not everybody has, uh, the same calling, the same ability. So we've, we've been blessed. We we're happy. We're very busy. How, how old are your children? Uh, my oldest uh, is 16 and our, uh, our 10th, uh, she's 18 months old. And uh, then we're expecting a baby in uh, end of January. So, so, so that's quite a, 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 a age range yeah. to me. It's like you're, you've got every kind of almost every age covered, yeah. like uh, the section you've got. The, yeah. The, yeah, go ahead. yeah, I was going to say our, our kids go to go to a Christian school and we have kids in every grade this year from 10th grade um, down to first grade, except for fourth and seventh. Oh, so wow. we have a kid in every grade. We don't have a kindergartner this year. So, um, but yeah, there's only of the eight kids that are in school. There's only two grades that are not covered, don't have an Abusara in them. So there we have all ages. So. Dave, uh, when I kind of wanted to start by asking questions about why people don't want to have children and, and what you might tell somebody, you know, somebody might say, I can never afford what you're doing, Dave. Like, yeah. What do you do to that? <laughs> well, so it's, I remember saying to my congregation one time, I said, you know, the interesting thing is that, is that you guys never ask me about, about kids or about birth control or about this type of stuff because you look at my family and you feel as though you know the answers to all of your questions without ever asking and or talking or getting you know getting counsel and what do i say well you know what would i say to somebody like that i'd say children are listen children are a gift from the lord and you should desire them you should realize um that not having a having a baby is not a simple little it's not just something you go and do. Um, it's it's the Lord who opens and closes the womb. And I want you to love children, and you're going to have to live by faith. And before God, not before me, um, but before the Lord, with a clean conscience about the decisions that you make. And I want you to love children. And so this idea that you're going to make a decision before you're married or in the early year, years of marriage that's going to be set in stone I just think it's foolish. I don't think that's the right way. I mean, I, don't, I, I can't, I, I have a hard time thinking of any other decision in our marriages that we would set out and say, we are going to fix this decision in stone and never think about it again. You do think about it again. Life happens. Things change. Um, and so all I try to tell them at the beginning is you, you need to have, be having this conversation of, you know, you, you don't have this conversation once and then never again. This is a regular thing that's going on because your life is, it's, 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 it's always changing the responsibilities, the burdens, the, uh, things like that. When it comes to money, I tend to tell people, 
you know, setting aside the issue of children, you, if you're a Christian, you're going to do different things with your money. And the more faithful you are, generally, the less similar you're going to look to the world in all kinds of ways. I mean, set aside children and just say, are you willing to live without um, lots and lots of debt mm-hmm. as a young family? Are you, you know, that, that alone will change the cars you drive, the places you go, the clothes you wear, the food you eat. And we've not even begun to talk about kids. Um, we do talk about if someone is really worried about money, then um, my, my, my wife and I or another family in our church, or, you know, one of the elders will sit down and talk with them about their finances and say, okay, well, let's actually look at what's going on here. Um, I also tell people babies are not as expensive as uh, you might think they are. Even if you have to pay to ha- for the delivery, um, there's ways to mitigate those costs and um, it, it's sort of like a wedding. You know, the average wedding I think is up to like 30, 30, $35,000 is the average now. And I just tell people, you don't have to spend that much money to get married. <laughs> that's what the average American spends. That's not what you have to spend to get married. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so the same, the same thing applies to kids just because somebody buys, you know, spends 10 or $15,000 buying all this stuff for their baby and their baby's nursery doesn't mean you have to. Um, someone said to my wife, uh, when we were pregnant with our first, he said, you know, all your baby, your, the, the one thing your baby absolutely has to have is you and said to my, says, and, and says, God's given you everything the baby needs right now, other than, uh, diapers and wipes. You can carry your baby. You can, I mean, you need a car seat and stuff like that. But as far as what you take with you places, there's a lot of stuff people buy. It's just, I mean, and I'm not saying you can't have that stuff or it's ungodly or whatever. Um, we've not found most of that stuff to be necessary. Um, it seems like it's a status symbol or it's, it's, it's been uh, proclaimed as the right way. You're a good parent if you fill in the blank. And if you don't subscribe to that stuff and you think about it, uh, things can get a lot cheaper, a lot more reasonable. Yeah, I think some of the things that you're, you're talking about, the, the status symbol or all these things are things that people think they ought to have because we live in a time where people don't have lots of children. So they have, I guess they have excuses or reasons for these other things. But once you start having more, you realize a lot of the things that you think you need to have, you don't need to have. Uh, or like I remember when we were having our first child, we put together this birth plan. So... I know the women can get really particular about that. Like it was, and, and I was kind of nutty on this too with my wife and I were, and we had this whole list of like, you were going to have classical music playing. Um, man, I had dirt from West Virginia for the the child to put their foot in the first time because they, they were, you know, I'm West Virginian. Yeah, yeah. You're laughing. Don't laugh. And then, um, and so you have all this thing. And then you have that first baby, and I remember you got the pacifier, and the pacifier falls falls on the floor. <laughs> and then what do you do? You get it out, and you got to either boil buy it. a new, boil it, or buy a new one. That's right. The only two choices: burn it, boil it, yeah. or buy a new one. <laughs> yeah, and you get to about baby number, I even maybe three or four. Like yeah. at this point, with maybe seven, that pacifier could be behind the couch for three weeks. And it's good to go. I just wipe yeah. it off on my shirt, and that's good to go. Yeah, here you go, kid. 
<laughs> so I wonder if some of the things that we think we got to have and the yeah. reason people think you, you can't afford this is because they're basing everything off of decisions you would make with two or three and, and you don't really need to have those things. Yeah, it's true. And when I think about like why those things are so important, what I, what I've realized as a pastor is people have not been trained about parenting at all. I mean, they may, they may, even if they have, if, even if they figured out a desire for it, they have no idea what they're doing. They, they barely have a clue and they're trying to keep their, you know, their head above water with being a husband and wife. And then when you add a child to the mix, they're like, no one has ever, I mean, we've had women and known of women who've gotten married and they've, they've never changed a diaper. Hmm. Like, or they got married and they've, they've, they've never cooked a dinner. Um, and, and there's just basic things they don't know how to do. And so part of meeting that need, it, it, you, know, you say, okay, there's, there's social media and all these things that tell you this is what being a good mom or dad, but probably more mom is. And we've got to, at some point, if we want people to have children, you, you do have to spend a lot of time talking to them, not just about having them, but what life is going to be like, how you deal with this uh, situation or that situation. There's, there's been conversation in our church recently about little kids, you know, one to two year olds and how to get them to eat. That's just no issue at my house and hasn't been for over a decade. Um, but it's things that people are dealing with. And they and as an older parent, you might look at it and go, well, I mean, just, just don't worry about it. But that's not how it was when we were learning or when I was learning. My wife knew a lot more about that type of stuff. But uh, you do have to come alongside and, and talk to them. You gotta make, they need to be able to ask that question. What do you do when? Our baby won't go to sleep at night. What do you do when they squirm when they're getting their diapers changed? What do you, you know, there's just a hundred of those questions and you really do have to answer them because they're out. There's plenty of other people out answering those questions. And I think if you're going to have kids, at least in our church, being my assistant pastor, my elders, we spend a lot of time talking about this stuff with people because um, they've sort of jumped into it, not knowing quite what they're in for. <laughs> now they're learning. So, yeah, yeah, that's why it's vital for the, the church and Titus two older women and, and fathers. Yes. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I think, you know, I, I've grown up in churches where that was just not the case. And then you do look to online and and then you're you're wanting the magic bullet for everything as well. I, I think of as a as a parent, uh, you, you want if I do the right you know, it starts off as babies, magic bullet for the babies, right? That's why it started with the birth plan. Actually, for us, and then it goes to okay, should I use cloth diapers, real diapers, breastfeed, breastfeed on demand? I mean, you name it. There's just yep. all these like, or is it scheduled? Right. And a lot of these things can be helpful, I think, and yet uh, we want that mat. And I don't know if that that magic bullet desire ever goes away, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I say, it's probably more discouraging to the mothers than the fathers, is you're going to fail as a parent. Like, just straight out of the gate, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna fail. And I don't mean that. I actually mean that to be an encouragement. No one ever thinks it's an encouragement when I say it. I was like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, I'm just telling you the truth. Like, you're not going to do this perfectly. That's, that's not possible. It's an unreasonable expectation. And you're going to be miserable if that is where you've s set the bar. It, it's not, it's not perfection. 
Like you, you got instead, what you should think is God's given me this, us, this child to care for. And he gave it to us, not to the people next door or the older couple at church or my parents or whoever. They gave this baby to us. And we've got to figure out when it's all said and done, we've got to figure out with, with counsel and, and prayer, we've got to figure out how to raise this baby. We, you know, we can't just download somebody else's schedules or priorities or rhythms of life because they're different from house to house. You know, your house and my house, I'm sure function very, very differently in terms of priorities and schedules and rhythms. And you've got, you've got more, more girls than I've got more boys. You know, it's just like, we couldn't li- you couldn't lift what I do and put it in your house any more than I could lift what you do in your house and put it in mine. You and I are different. My wife and your wife are different. So it really is an exercise in faith, learn, learning how to care for your children. And maybe that that might be why many people balk at it and because and, it really is uh, that it takes faith. I think about how every time we have a child or, or we find out we're pregnant, I don't know, man, I freak out. I have like a panic attack for like a moment, like, and and like for a yeah. few hours we kind of sit there in silence. So I, I'm I'm confessing this is this doesn't sound very holy, especially for somebody that says children are a gift from the Lord, and I want to outbreed the pagans and I want to see multi generational faithfulness. It sounds very I'm confessing my sin to you, but I we freak out for about a an evening, and then the next day we sleep on it, and the next day we're, we're happy, we're excited, and we're happy to have a, a baby. Yeah. But yeah, but there's that that moment of like. I have a human being now I have to take care of. And yeah. where, where am I getting money? Where am I going to get a new car that I need? And where am I going to get yeah. all this? And I've found it is living by faith and, and God has provided every step of the way. It's, it, you, it's not like you're exponentially adding the cost of money every time you have a child. I think we, uh, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah. so. I had a funny interaction with someone. It was years ago. It must have been 10 years ago. We were having this conversation. They were, the guy, the husband, it was just after a men's group and, at church. And he was, he, he was debating about whether or not to have another child or right away or how he felt about it. And, and it was more him than his wife that was struggling with it. She was like, okay. And he was just having this crisis of, of his faith. And he said, well, Dave, it's just easy for you. Because I was telling him, you have to have faith. And he says, well, it's just easy for you, Dave. You don't. And I just laughed in his face. He was really upset and angry with me. I just laughed at him. I'm like, you think it's easy? Like, <laughs> you think it doesn't? T- yeah, I, I just don't need faith for this kind of stuff. Like, it just comes naturally. Just all this responsibility and all of these sacrifices. Like, it's just, more, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, please. Like, I'm, you know, I'm in. Like, oh, it's hard. It's hard. And it's good. I mean, we wouldn't change it. If my wife and I could go back to the beginning and say, this is what your life's going to be like in 17 years. Do you want, you know, you know, do you want it? We have, yeah, of course. But there's been a lot of sacrifices along the way. And there's lots of things that we don't have. And I think young men, when they start having kids, they think, oh, well, I'm going to I'm going to have a big family or I'm going to have children and I'm going to be a Christian marriage or all these things. And I'm going to, you know, fill in the blank. 
And then, you know, the years, a few years go by, three years, five years, whatever. And there's this, this well, there begins to be this welling up inside of him where he's like, okay, but isn't it time for me to go get the stuff I want? Cause like the, you know, the ship's leaving the dock and you say, you know, maybe later, maybe later, if I work a little harder and another three, you know, you get eight, 10, 12 years into it and really into the grind years of parenting, um, you're not in the exciting, this baby's new and they're taking their first steps and all that stuff. But you're also not like we're seeing them off into the, you know, going to college. You're just dealing with late adolescent, preteen, teenager, like kids. And they're, they're just work. They're like, they're, there's a lot of work, but there's not these super exciting uh, milestones that you're, you know, you're hitting and putting all over social media. Um, and, and, and yet you sort of feel like the world's passing you by, like the things that you wanted to, um, to have or to be like the, the and for me, at least, uh, the worldliness, you know, I, I was that guy I'm describing myself. Oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to fill in the blank. And I've had to come to terms in the last couple of years with like, I'm not delaying some of those things. I'm just never going to have those things or do those things. That's going to be a perpetual difference because, I mean, I've got a 16-year-old who's going to leave the house and oh, then everything's going to get easier when they start leaving the house. It's like, okay, but then what happens? Like, Lord willing, in time, like, you don't stop being a parent, but then he's going to need help, counsel, love. We're going to miss him. We're going to want to see him. Um, but Lord willing, in time, he's going to get married. And then, you know, if the Lord's really kind, then we'll become grandparents. You know, if, if my son has a baby, when I had a baby, I'll be a grandpa in nine years, you know? And it's like, Oh, okay. I thought life was going to get easier. And then it's like, well, there's all these kids. And if, if they all start having kids, then I'm going to be more busy then than I am now, you know, not with the kids in my house, but supporting and helping and encouraging in addition to all the other things we do. So it, it's a, it's a whole life commitment. It's not 18 years or 20 or whatever. Um, that's at least how I've had to, I've had to process it and come to terms with it. Like this is not, I'm not going to get the cool stuff later. The worldly cool stuff. I'm going to, you know, we invested in this. And so this is what defines is going to be what our life's about, not as an idol, but as a responsibility. Yeah. As you're speaking, I'm thinking of King Dave, King David, and maybe this is not quite what you were saying, but wanting to build the temple. Yeah. And, you know, and God wouldn't let him build the temple for a different reason, the bloodshed, but that it would come in his children, children's days. Yeah. And I, I've thought about that often. That there are things that I want to personally accomplish and, and do. And yet, uh, yeah, I'm coming to an awareness that I, I won't. And yet, uh, it may be my children or, or some other generation mm -hmm. on the line that accomplished some of those, those things. And, and yet, uh, it's good. So I don't think you're saying that to, to discourage anybody, but you know, no. Christ, what did Christ say? If I'm gonna read you Luke 14, 28, he says, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Now, 
having read that, that's going to sound like I'm contradicting earlier when we were talking about, oh, you shouldn't just let money be the thing for why you don't have kids. But uh, we, I think you ought to have kids and lots of kids and lots and lots of kids. But this passage, I mean, it, it, it is relevant in the fact that if you're going to do that, and you should, it bears a cost. Yeah. You know, the more I've thought about having kids, and I know that having kids wasn't really the thing we, the only thing we decided, wanted to talk about today, but what I've become increasingly convinced of is that it's, if the Lord opens and closes the womb, um, it's not the, it's, it's, it's similar to a calling of, a of adoption, perhaps where, Hey buddy, there's one of them. Speaking of kids, here we yep, go. There's one of them. <laughs> and it's like, I don't, when people, some people look at my family and they're like, Oh, that's just what we want. And I'm like, I don't, you should ask us a little bit more about what our life's like, because you don't know what we do. And especially what my wife does. Um, to be able to sustain this. And, um, and I'm not convinced that everybody's cut out to have huge families. And I'm not saying pick a number there for decide whether you're called to it or not, you know, and plan it all out. But I'm just saying like, there are people that you look at them and you're like, you know, I, I really don't think you'd handle it. Well, having a big family and you can say that you're, you've got money reasons or you've got stress reasons or health reasons, whatever the, whatever the reasons are. And I just think, yeah, I don't, I mean, if you were, I'm afraid that you wouldn't do well with a big family. Um, maybe that's just a modern, you know, problem where we can think that way. Um, but I'm not convinced everyone would be a good parent, parents of big families, because if you don't respond faithfully to the increasing demands, you'll raise hellions. And that's not, that's not a good thing. And so if you're going to have kids, you, you really do need to understand, like you said, Luke, what you're getting yourself into as much as you can. And you need to be committed to say, okay, we're going to build the project. And if, you know, using the analogy of, of, of uh, you know, building a house or a castle, like there are going to be parts you can't foresee. You can't foresee having a special needs child or cancer or whatever might come down the road. But you do have to be committed to seeing what you've already begun, seeing it through. Um, and so <laughs> y'all wound up in your wires. Yes, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. All right. There we go. Here you go. It's, a, it's a good, it's a good object lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and so some people, I, I think it's a weird thing to, you know, people, they always feel like, Oh, well, you just think I should have a bunch of kids. You just want me to have a bunch of kids. And I go, no, not if you're going to ruin them all. No, I don't. Like, if you don't love kids, that's actually what I care about, is the question of whether, of counting the cost, is a question of how you love your kids and the kids you have. And what are you willing to sacrifice? What are you going to go without? Because you will go without stuff, whether you have a big family or, or a small family. And so it's a bigger question than numbers. Um, I, I really don't like when men talk about competition. Well, I'm beating you. Well, I've got more kids than you. Well... I mean, maybe there was a time when I was younger when I thought that way that it was a competition, but not anymore. Like now, these kids, now, that, you, now that he's winning the competition, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, 
the work gets to be so much that you don't you don't think of it in those terms. Like you realize as your kids get older, it's it's weird. They the fact that they have souls and that they have to interact with God directly, I've realized as they get older, at least for me, I feel the that reality more acutely. The responsibilities that I have and and the 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 time I've wasted or squandered or whatever in training them, it's like to joke. It just seems it just seems trite or trivial to talk about it in terms of a competition. I'm like these are these are children made in the image of God that have eternal souls and they're a huge responsibility to you. How could you think of them in terms of like a collectible? Like it's just like man, you don't have the right mindset about what's what's around the next bend in terms of responsibility for you. But maybe those responsibilities are the things that we need to help break us of that sort of thinking. So, all right. Well, that's uh, that's we're let's continue the direction a little bit, but change it up a little bit. So, I think we've tried to give people faith for having children, while also, you know, uh, I think keeping them from naivety about having large families. So. People talk about the cost. What are the real costs of having a large family? We've already kind of talked about. So that was going to be one of my questions, but maybe if you want to, if you have another way you want to aim at that with what are the costs of having a large well, family? Or um, There are a lot of costs. I, I should say at least, you know, you know, we have a big family. We also have um, all of our children are healthy. All of the deliveries, there was, we've never had a major complication. Um, to our knowledge, we've never had a miscarriage. Um, and so it, I realized, I've realized as people have kids, we, we've never had extended hospital stays or anything like that. Probably the worst we've had for as kids is a broken arm. Um, and so in terms of that type of stuff, it, it, the Lord's been really good to us. Um, but then in terms of what the cost is, I mean, on one hand, you tell people, you know, you don't need to make your decisions based on uh, finances. You need to trust the Lord. But I can tell you that it, it does cost money to have kids, you know, um, and as, as they get older, it gets more expensive. I mean, we had six boys before we had a girl. I have three teenage boys in my house right now and a bunch of kids aspiring to eat as much as they do. And so it really does get expensive in terms of the uh, keeping them fed, keeping them clothed. It, it's, you know, you, you can't, you can't look at that and say it doesn't exist. It does. Um, the question then becomes, Oh, well, do we not have kids, more kids because of that cost? Or do we, figure out how to support that cost. Um, you know, we're, I'm a pastor, we're a single income and we're not poor, but our life doesn't look like in terms of the things we buy and the types of food we eat and the places we go. It just doesn't look like a normal American life because of where our money goes. You know, we've, we've worked hard not to be in, um, in debt and, that's really stinking hard to live with no debt uh, other than our mortgage. When you've got 10 kids and you may live on a single income, it just requires a lot of work. I, my wife is fond of telling me you can only spend, you can only spend three things, time, money, or energy. 
and they're all actually limited resources. And so you need to go into it knowing you're going to spend those things. And I'd say with the dads, um, once start early in terms of preparing your way of life. If you say you want to get married and you want to have kids and you want to train them up, you better be doing everything you can when you're young to gain some marketable skills um, and applying yourself to work. You have more time to work when you're young and to get ahead. I wasted those years financially. I worked really hard. I just wasted the fruit of it um, before I was married. And it was stupid. And so I tell guys, if you want that, you know, if you want to have a big family, you, you should think about what you're doing right now before your the those those expenses show up. Um, so the first is you should at least realize um, your vacations, if you take them, your cars, uh, your ability to pay for college or to buy your kids cars or the kind of things they wear, your kids are going to be different than their friends. Um, my kids are different in many ways from the kids that they go to school with um, because of the size of their family. Um, another one of the costs uh, that you do have to take into account is the cost on your um on your wife, um, the, the, you know, the, the, the fifth pregnancy is not like the first pregnancy and the sleepless nights, uh, compound for your wife. Uh, and it can wear, it really does wear on her. Uh, and that doesn't mean again, it's not like, oh, well, since there's a burden, we, uh, the answer is to just turn off the pressure. It just means your family needs more of you, dad. And your wife needs more of you, husband, uh, not just financially, but emotionally, relationally. Um, that's where some of the stuff you thought, oh, well, I'll get to do that later. I'll get to catch up on that. Your responsibilities in your home, the support that you provide for your wife, um, it just goes up. I think I realized when we had four kids was when I finally realized that my wife needed my help. And, there were, and I hear guys talk about who should do the dishes or who should do the laundry or who should vacuum or, and I'm just like, who cares? Like when you have a big family, like the kids do it. My wife does it. Sometimes I do it. it and it's no affront to my position as the head of the house. And it's not unsubmissive. It's also not unreasonable if she's been up for two or three nights with sick kids or a sore back or whatever's been going on for me to step in and help her. And it's not like, watch your, that's women's work. Like that's just, I really, I just, I really despise when men behave that way. Um, there's when, when I was got married, um, there was a, a man that came to my bachelor party and he gave me this piece of advice. He said, there's only two things that you can't do that your wife can do that you can't do. She can, she can have children and she can nurse. You need to learn to do everything else. And I think in our circles, Joseph, everyone would look at that and they, you know, they just get, they'd get their hackles up. They'd be like, well, that's, you can't say that. That's not right. That's that, you know, you're, you're just, you've become an egalitarian or you're a feminist. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just trying to tell you, uh, what's going to be required of you at times in your life and that you would learn as a husband to honor your wife by, and love her by, by helping her when she needs some support because she's doing an awful lot for you. If she's giving you children first, praise God for her. And second, 
don't don't uh, take for granted the sacrifices that she's made and her body that she's given for for you like um you should be doing what you can to to love her and honor her because most of what she's going to spend her time doing nobody's going to see except little kids and you um and it's your job to make her not feel like her life's just uh, laundry dishes and um, discipline or train or teaching the kids or what, you know, whatever she's spending her time doing. Um, that really is one of the costs. It's not monetary. You could decide, well, the way I'm going to fix that is I'm going to pay for her and to be able to go do this and that. And maybe, maybe your wife would appreciate that. Um, but most of the wives I know that whether they've got big families or not, old or young, if their husband's answer to their discontentment or their hardship is to throw money at it, it doesn't fix the wife's problem. She needs her husband. And as you have more kids, your wife's going to need you more. And she's not failing you when she says, I, I, I need your help. Like, you know, she's done so much. I tell people we've been, uh, you know, we've been married for a little over 17 years now. And after this baby, and you, my wife will have been pregnant for over eight years. So literally half of our marriage. You know, if you figure a nine-month pregnancy and nine children, or 11 children, it's 99 months. You know? <laughs> so that's like, that's a little, that's eight, eight years and three months. She's going to have spent with sleepless nights and and heartburn and aches and pains and just all this stuff. And it's like, do you love a woman who go through that for you? I, I try to, if my wife were here, she'd say, you're, you're learning some, you've got a long way to go yet. Um, and I wouldn't be offended by her saying that because that's the truth. I'm still learning this stuff. I have not got it all figured out. I, I grew up an only child with no dad. And so I didn't see any of the stuff I'm talking about modeled. Um, and didn't come even to become a Christian until I was in my early twenties. And so this is all we're, I'm very much first generation, um, to all of this. So I'm having to paddle fast to try to keep up, but the Lord's been good to us. Well, David, you've, uh, kind of answered a lot of my questions already just or organically. Yeah. Um, Why do it? Why do it? I mean, I, I'm afraid, like, I hear all that, and it's like, well, I ain't doing that. Right. What do you want me to do? <laughs> and, you know, I've been listening to, um, I was listening to a podcast recently, and they were talking about uh, what people want out of life. And what they want is something bigger than themselves to give themselves to. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the, 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 there's so many different places where you find this, this itch being scratched. You see it in politics where it's like, you can change the world and make a difference. If you'll get involved in your politics, uh, you can make a difference and change the world. If you'll, if you'll, you know, become a, uh, in the manosphere, if you'll, if you'll become a man and if you'll, you'll get after it. Um, the thing I was listening to most recently was actually about, uh, climate change and saying that that's it's if you'll get involved in in th in this work you'll have you'll have given your life to something bigger than you and monumental and that's why you got to use one ply of toilet paper 
Uh, my house. <laughs> we buy toilet paper in big quantities. <laughs> so, but you know, it's what do I want? What do I want to be left when I'm gone? I'm going to be gone, and and the work of ruling over the earth and subdue it is not going to be done. So, what do I want to be left when when I'm gone? Because I want, I want people to carry on and stand on my shoulders. I was just telling my, my older boys last night, that phrase, standing on our shoulders. I said, honey, guys, I use that phrase. Do you know what it means? And they said, yeah, you know, kind of maybe. And I said, just realize, like, I want you guys to be better husbands, better fathers, better Christians than your mother and me. I want you to, I want you to, to do better than us. And so we're investing our lives not a side hustle, like our whole lives into you guys taking and carrying on the work that we've begun. And it'll be easier for your younger siblings in so many ways because they'll have seen you do it first in terms of getting a job and getting, you know, buying your first car and getting through life because they'll have watched you do it. But you guys have the benefit of watching us do it. And what more do we want than for you to continue in the work that we're doing. Um, and so I, I often say to my, to my congregation or to my kids, like, what do you want to be written on your headstone? What do you want to be said about you when, when the, the book of your life is closed? Like, what do you want people to say? This is what this man was about. This is what was important to him. This is, this is who he was. Um, I think, Anything that's worth being said at that moment is going to require a lifetime of commitment, a lot of sacrifice, and that it'll be the thing you enjoy um, the most. I've, I've got friends that are my age that I had one of them tell me one time, he says, man, I'm glad you're having kids so that I don't have to. And I was just, left, it was so sad to me. Like, I mean, you might get upset, but it's so sad to me because I'm like, well, you're having a fun life. I mean, you're doing a lot of fun stuff. You're traveling. You're just... You're just living it up by the world's, you know, in the world's eyes. You've got money, all that stuff. But I'm left being like, and I was, I was, there was actually an older guy with us who'd never gotten married, who had never um, had any children. And I looked at the young guy, and, and this is the kind of relationship we had. None of these guys are believers. And I looked at, at the young guy and I said, Do you want your life to look like his when he's, when you're 75? Like he has nobody to come to him for Thanksgiving. Like there's no one to visit him because he, he didn't, want to do that sort of stuff and no amount of money is going to make people love you um, and care for you. And so I want to build God's kingdom and I want people to, to love and to carry on the work and to come visit me when I'm old <laughs> and to give me grandkids. And, and so is it a lot of work? Yes. Probably more than I could even begin to describe because I'm not through the other side of it yet, <laughs> you know, but my, you really love children, so do the work. Um, well, David, uh, you you recently started a podcast, yes, where you're you're talking about some of this type of stuff uh, and other stuff. It's uh, what's the name of the podcast? It's called just, Yeah. So our church just started a podcast called Clearcast. The name of our church is Clear Note Church, so we started Clearcast. Uh, you can find it on Apple and 
wherever else they are. I'm not real podcasty savvy, but I get it on Apple Podcasts. I'm sure it's all kinds of other places ex- except maybe Spotify. Um, we've released a f- just a few episodes. We're just getting started. Um, it's a bi-weekly uh, podcast, so every other Monday um, an episode will drop. This first episode, this first uh, season is entitled Things I Wish I'd Known in My 20s. And the reason we did that was because a, a number of younger men in our church have found things that have been said over the course of, of years um, when they were younger particularly helpful. Things, you know, in the, in the sort of the DNA or the fabric of our church, they've been like, yeah, this is what I needed. And they said, this is really valuable. We want you to record a podcast where basically you just talk about the things that we have found to be most helpful to us in our lives. Um, and so that's the, that's the name of the podcast. That's what the first season is about. Um, we're learning. We've, we've only recorded the, recorded the first season so far. So, um, that's the name and, of it. And if our listeners wanted to, uh, follow up with you, ask you questions, maybe they, I want to ask, uh, how do you get the little kids to eat? What, what, how right. can they get a hold of you? Yeah. So if you go to uh, clearnotechurch.com, uh, that's our church website. You can reach out, um, on there or, uh, you can find me on Facebook. Um, my name is David Abusara, or you can, um, email me at D A B U S A R A at clearnotechurch.com. That's my church email address. Um, our phone number is listed on our website too. You can call and get in contact that way. Um, but yeah, there's, there's all kinds of ways to reach out like that. You know, sometimes we view God's commands the way I was taught in the army. You never, ever volunteer. You know, one time they asked for volunteers for the bowling team, right? The bowling team. I mean, who wants, uh, you know, sounded like fun. And you know what the bowling team was? Well, volunteers ended up cleaning all the toilet bowls. In our sinful nature, we all view God's commands with this same suspicion. We think that God is out to trick us and harm us. I mean, that's been the lie of Satan from the beginning, to make us think that what God has commanded us is for our harm. We believe he's holding back something good from us and wanting to give us something evil. What a damned and evil lie that we would be tempted to believe about our heavenly father. If an earthly father knows better than to give a serpent to his child when he asks for food, how much better the good things our God, who created the very concept of food, would give to us. I mean, it's a shame that we come to the commandments of God and reread them with suspicion while looking for all the loopholes and exceptions we can find. We always look for the whatabouts and the buts. You know, I remember one time my dad asked me to come over to him because he wanted me to do something. He had just gotten home from work. And so he was like, come on over here. And and I just knew that whatever he asked me to do was going to be something I didn't want to do. Right? I was watching something on the TV or something. I was sitting there. And so I grumbled. I complained. And I put up a fight. And he had to tell me to come over. All without even knowing what he was going to ask. If you've ever been a parent, you, you've you probably seen that happen. It's one of those costs of being a parent. And then he told me he wanted me to go to the car to get a box for him. I was like, you were just in the car and just came out of the car to get into the house. Couldn't you go get it? And so I grumbled. 
then I went and I got the box. And he had me to open it to find it. And it was a gift for me. Something I'd really wanted. And I realized at that point how foolish I had been. I still regret it. God's commands are good. Here's one command from Christ that we all want to balk at. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Being a follower of Christ means giving up your life. Fatherhood is one of the things that God has given us as a gift. He's given his name to it. What a gift. And yet it 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 goes with carrying your cross. It's one of the primary ways we actually show that we're followers of Christ. Fatherhood is a gift, but it means laying down your life so that your children may live. It's a sacrifice. And yet it's a sacrifice done in faith to Christ, right? If, if, and if it's done in faith in Christ, it's never, ever in vain. God sees and he will reward. He will reward. So, men, do you have what it takes to be a patriarch? I hope you were encouraged by this episode of the Patriarchy Podcast. If you're not yet a believer, then what in the world are you waiting for? Repent and believe in Jesus. And if you are, then this is my call to you. Build, fight, protect, and lead. This is the Patriarchy. (laughs) 